Mark chapter 2, verse 23 through chapter 3, verse 6. We read this. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. And in chapter 3, a second incident. Another time he went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, as we bow before you this morning, uh, we pray that we may listen to your word, that we may hear how it may apply to us, and that we may apply it to the situations of our lives. We thank you, Lord, for your word, for the power of it. We thank you for its clear teaching. We thank you for the message of the gospel, which it teaches us that the Lord Jesus died according to the scriptures and rose from the dead. We thank you for a great, loving Savior who willingly went to Calvary, where he, the innocent one, the sinless one, would take upon his body our sin. And we are ever grateful for that, Lord, for it is in that act that we have hope as we put our faith in Jesus Christ, your Son, who died for us, taking our place. We thank you that we have hope of eternal life, abundant living here and now and life with you forever. We thank you that we have the hope that we can be a part of your family by our trust in your son, Jesus. We thank you that when we put our trust in him, we also have hope because we pass from death to life. Lord, open our hearts to understand your truths today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a time, and I doubt very many here remember it, but there may be some, there was a time when it was considered sinful for believers to watch a football game on Sunday because it was considered a violation of the Sabbath. There was a time when it was considered wrong to even watch TV 
for a believer to even watch TV on a Sunday. There was a time when it was sinful to go out to eat. And if you raise the point that, well, I'm not working, they would say, yes, but you're making someone else work on the Sabbath. There was time when it was considered sinful for believers to take a newspaper. Uh, by the way, a newspaper is that paper thing. <laughs> it's not a screen that you scroll, it's paper. It was considered sinful for believers to take a paper. There were, in fact, blue laws. Anybody here remember blue laws? That regulated what a store could, what stores could be open, what stores could sell uh, on a Sunday, and all of this based upon somebody's understanding of the Sabbath, not necessarily a good understanding, as we're going to see in today's passage. There are even denominations and several cults that are built on the Sabbath idea on worshiping on Saturday. Well, are we to worship on Saturday? Are we still under that law of the Ten Commandments to worship on the Sabbath day? Are we still under the command to the Old Testament commands that we'll talk about as we look at this passage this morning? Those are the questions we want to answer this morning and uh, as we go through this passage it's the thing, the Sabbath is the thing that ties these two incidences together. The first incident in Matthew chapter, excuse me, Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28, and the second incident in Mark chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. The thing that ties these two passages together are the Sabbath regulations or the Sabbath controversy. This is the fourth, these are the fourth and fifth controversies since chapter 2 and verse 1 where that the religious leaders raised against Jesus and sought to use against Jesus. And you're going to see by the end of our passage this morning, sought to use against Jesus to take his life. To take his life. So that's what ties these together is the Sabbath regulation. There's a second thing that ties them together is that the enemies of Jesus the religious leaders who eventually sought to kill Jesus were primarily Pharisees. Primarily Pharisees. You're going to see that in these of the, each of these passages, each of these incidents in this passage this morning, that it's the Pharisees who raised the question of the Sabbath. It's the Pharisees who accused Jesus and his disciples of violating the Sabbath. It's the Pharisees who hate Jesus so much they want to kill him. Now, a couple of things. There are five things about, five characteristics of the Pharisees that we, we have already seen and that we will continue to see throughout the study of Scripture and throughout the study of the book of Mark. There are five character flaws of the Pharisees. The first character flaw is that of self-sufficiency. And the reason I share these flaws is because I, I believe that you and I need to look at our own lives and be sure that we are not guilty of being Pharisees. That we are not guilty of acting like the religious leaders rather than like our Savior. Well, the first character flaw of the Pharisees is self-sufficiency. 
That kept the Pharisees from seeing their need of salvation. They felt no need of salvation, as we saw in last week's passage. They felt no need of salvation. They were not sinners. They thought they were righteous. So their self-sufficiency kept them from seeing their need of salvation. A second character flaw is that they lacked mercy and compassion. They lacked mercy and compassion. They were more interested in tradition, more interested in ritual, more than they were in people or their needs. They were more interested in tradition and more interested in ritual than they were in people and their needs. And that comes out clearly in these two incidences in Mark this morning. The third thing about them is that they lacked love. They lacked love. The fourth character flaw is that they had contempt for people who were not like them. They had contempt for people who were not like them. The fifth character flaw of the Pharisees that we have already seen and that we will continue to see throughout the book of Mark is they were self-righteous. They did not recognize, nor did they see their own failures. They were self-righteous. They did not see their own failures. These are, these are serious character flaws on the part of the Pharisees. Uh, interestingly, I was reading in the devotional book I've mentioned to you a couple of times uh, by Tony Dungy, the One Year Uncommon Life Challenge. And uh, he deals with something that is as contemporary as what's going on today, and that is the NFL draft. Anyone here follow the NFL draft? No one. Good for, oh, I got one. I got one. Did, did the Cowboys beef up there? That's <laughs> why. Alfonso's a big Cowboy fan. Uh, the NFL draft was going on. It was a big deal on TV for several days and, and all of that. Well, interestingly enough, Tony Dungy in his One Year Uncommon uh, Daily Challenge, Uncommon Life Daily Challenge, shared about his own philosophy on the NFL draft. And he said that there were many times when a player would come up when he was the coach of the Indianapolis Colts with whom he won a Super Bowl, there were many times when a player would come up that had all of the skills and the talent and the abilities that would really beef up the Indianapolis Colts and they would look at their list and if there was a N, uh, excuse me, DNDC beside the person's name. They would not select them, even though they would improve the team. And what DNDC meant was do not draft because of character. He said they would rather have players with character and bypass a player that would eventually be a problem in the locker room. He said, this, no matter how qualified a prospect was, spending a draft pick on someone with a lack of character could be a costly mistake. Everyone wants success, but if it comes at the expense of integrity and honor, the cost is too high. I thought that was a great statement on a contemporary thing that was going on right now. Um, that was true of the Pharisees. Their character flaws caused them to be 
ineffective. Their character flaws caused them to live for themselves rather than for God. Their character flaws caused them to be self-sufficient, lacking mercy and compassion, lacking love, contempt for people not like them, and self-righteous. That's the Pharisees. May we need not be self-sufficient in ourselves. May we understand that our sufficiency is in Jesus Christ. May we not lack mercy and compassion and not be so tied to tradition and ritual that people and their needs come last. May we not lack love. May we not have contempt for people who are not like us. And may we not be self-righteous, not seeing our own failure. Well, that's what the territory we're covering today these controversies over the Sabbath day and the controversies with these Pharisees. And what was significant here, the significance of the Sabbath controversies was this. Jesus was challenging the most cherished institution of the Jews and declaring that he had authority over it. Remember, we've seen him, and, and Mark's intent is to show us Jesus' authority over, over many areas of life uh, his authority over sickness, his authority over demons, his authority over sin, and uh, on and on. Mark points out Jesus' authority, which points out the, the unique person, the Son of God, God incarnate, that Jesus was. And now in our passage this morning, in these two incidences, we see the significance of the Sabbath come front and center. Jesus was challenging this most cherished institution of the Jews and declaring his authority over it. Now, before we get into the Sabbath and how they accuse Jesus of violating the Sabbath and try to answer the question, are we under the Sabbath today? There are some who would tell you that you ought to be worshiping not today, not Sunday, but you ought to be worshiping on Saturday. That's the Sabbath. They say we are still under the, the Ten Commandments. We're still under the commandment, the Sabbath commandment in the Ten Commandments. And we're going to try to look at that question this morning. But before we do, we have to understand that the controversy over the Sabbath leads to a bigger question. The controversy over the Sabbath leads to a bigger question, a broader question, and that is the question of are we under the law? Are we to keep the law? Is the law a means of salvation? Is the law a means of sanctification for the believer? Because, again, there are some believers who tell you that, that you have to, you don't, uh, some say you don't have to follow the law for salvation, but you do have to if you want to be set apart to God. You have to keep the law. Are we and I, are you and I, are we to keep any part of the law? including the Sabbath? Are we to keep any part of the law, including the Sabbath? So that's the broader question here. I want to I give you a, a quick synopsis of what the New Testament teaches about you and me and the law. What does it teach about you and me and the law? There are several things. Number one, the law, according to Hebrews, and I'm going to give you some passages, and we're not going to take time to look them up this morning, but... I hope you will look them up and check them out. Number one, the law was weak and useless. 
according to Hebrews 7. And Chris did a great job a couple of weeks ago talking about the Old Covenant and the New Covenant and comparing grace and law. And uh, you can go back and get his sermon from a couple of weeks ago. I think it was April 2nd. And he did a great job of that. Uh, This is kind of building on what he's already taught us. Uh, The law, according to Hebrews chapter 7, verses 17 and 18, was weak and useless. Was weak and useless. The law, according to Hebrews, secondly, the law, according to Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 13, chapter 10, verse 1 and following, the law was passing away. The law was passing away because it was only a shadow. It was not the reality. It was obsolete. It was obsolete. Number three, the law could not justify. That is, the law could not make you right with God, nor could it make me right with God. The law could not justify. Uh, I do want us to look at that. It's in Galatians, and if you would turn to Galatians, there are a couple of passages there I want you to see. One of the greatest uh, expositions of the law and grace is found in the book of Galatians. And... Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. In other words, if anybody tells you you can be saved by following the law, they need to go to Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, where they will find out no one is saved by the law. No one will be justified by the law. No one will be made right with God by the law. Well, then you say, what... What was the use of the law? Well, number four, the law could show us our need and lead us to Christ. The law could show us our need. In other words, the law was given not as a means of salvation. The law was given in the Old Testament, given to the Israelites, given to the Jews, not as a means of salvation, but it was given as a means for them to understand how far short they fall of God's standard. And it still can do that for us today. It still can show us how far we fall from God's standard, how far away from God's standard we are. No one can be justified or will be justified or has been justified by the law. But the law can lead a person to Christ. The law can help us to understand how far short we fall of God's standard. That's Galatians chapter 3, verses 24 and 25. And if, I hope you're still in Galatians. There are a couple more I'd like us to see. Galatians chapter 3, 24 and 25. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. So we're not under the law. No, no part of the law. And by the way, the law, law is a unity. It is a unity. There are those who like to divide and say, well, there's the moral law, the Ten Commandments. There's the civil law. There's the tradition or religious law uh, uh, having to do with sacrifices and such. 
The law was a unity. It was never considered separate parts. It was considered to be a unity. So the law could not justify, and the law could only show us our need and lead us to Christ. Number five, the law could not save, and it, as we've already said, and it cannot sanctify. That is, there are those who say, if you want to really please God, you have to keep the law. Uh, of course, you're not saved by the law, but if you want to really please God, you have to keep the law. That's what some wrongly teach. The law is not a means of grace or a means of currying the favor of God. The law is not a means of grace and it's not a means of currying favor with God. Let me give you a couple passages. Galatians chapter 4, verse 9. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 9. We leave, but now you know God, or rather are known by God. How is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. In other words, in the Galatian church, there came these, these uh, false teachers who would wrongly teach that you had to come under the law, wrongly teach that if you wanted to really please God, you had to go back under the law. They would agree that you didn't need the law for salvation, but they would say you have to come back under, you have to come under the law to please God, to learn how to curry favor with God. And according to Galatians 4, 9, that is not the case. Uh, and then verse uh, 10 and verse 11, you're observing, uh, excuse me, verse Galatians 4, 10 and 11, you're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Uh, the law, and also in Galatians 3, verses 1 to 3, where we read this, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human efforts? That is because the Galatians were being led back into the law and being told that if they really wanted the favor of God, they had to follow the law. And Paul's saying, are you really that foolish? Are you really that foolish to, un to, to go back to the law? And uh, verse 4, have you suffered so much for nothing if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? And the obvious answer was it was because they believed. It was because of faith. So the law could not save. The law cannot sanctify. The law is not a means of grace or of currying favor with God. Uh, Acts chapter 15, number 6, Acts chapter 15 makes it clear that the church is not under law. When the early church had the opportunity to say that we should be under law, that we are under the law, the early church council in Acts 15 very clearly stated we are not under the law. 
and should not bring anybody under the law. Number seven, to follow the law at any point is to obligate ourselves to follow it completely. In other words, a lot of people, you know, they pick and choose. They look at the law and say, well, I can keep this, so I like this one. But I'm not too good at keeping this, so I don't like this one. What Paul's point is, and what the New Testament point is, that if you follow the law at any point, you obligate yourself to follow it completely. Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 to 3, if you still are in Galatians. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. Anyone who obligates themselves to the law are then obligated to follow the whole law. What's the hold in that logic? Nobody can follow the whole law. Nobody can. It's a fool's errand. And so therefore... Uh, to follow the law at any point, and, and James makes that same argument, to follow the law at any point is to obligate ourselves to follow the whole law. You can't just pick and choose. Well, law, somebody, and I don't know who the, uh, I would like to sort this, uh, cite the source of this, but I don't know who uh, actually said this. Law is a system of probation Grace is a system of favor. Law is a system of probation, whereas grace is a system of favor. Under the, the law, the sheep dies for the shepherd. Under grace, the shepherd dies for the sheep. I thought that was, those were great distinctions. Under the law, the sheep dies for the shepherd, but under grace, the sheep dies for the shepherd dies for the sheep. The law was a ministry of condemnation. Grace is a ministry of forgiveness. The law curses. Grace redeems from the curse. The law kills. Grace makes alive. The law shuts every mouth before God. Grace opens every mouth to praise God. The law puts great and guilty distance between man and God. Grace makes guilty men near to God. The law says, do this and you will live. Grace says, believe this and you will live. The law utterly condemns the best person. Grace freely justifies the worst person. Now there are some errors that come concerning law and grace. I'd just like to mention three quickly. Number one, the first is antinomianism. What does that mean? Nomos is law, anti is against law. Uh, basically, uh, because we are saved by grace and wholly without merit of our own, then some say, well, then we're not required to live holy lives because the more we sin, the more grace God gives us, and so that can't be a bad thing, so therefore let's sin as much as we possibly can. Boy, that's an error in thinking, isn't it? Isn't it? Because we are under grace, 
because grace is free doesn't mean that we are not to live holy lives. In fact, out of gratitude for God, out of forgiveness for what God has, I mean, out of thankfulness for the forgiveness that God has offered us, out of thankfulness for what God has done for us, we ought not to sin. Now, we can't be perfect and we will sin, and 1 John 1, 9 gives us the solution for that. But, though we may sin, it's not our goal to sin, and it's not our goal to give God more reason to expend grace. Antinomianism is one error. The second error is ceremonialism. That is to demand that believers should observe the Levitical ordinances. There are those who demand that we should still be observing the ordinances in the book of Leviticus under the law. The third is Galatianism, and that, as we have seen, as we've looked in the passages in Galatians, is the mingling of law and grace. The mingling of law and grace. In other words, the, those who tell Christians, you're, you're not saved by the law, but you come under the law in order to please God. And that is a faulty argument, as we have already seen. Well, <clears throat> quickly, on this whole, remember, we we're saying that out of this controversy over the Sabbath, which was a part of the law, we have the greater question of what is our relationship to the law? What is our relationship to the law? Well, if there's a danger in mixing law and grace. And let me share with you five things that are a danger in your life and in my life if we mix law and grace, if we put ourselves under the Old Testament law, not understanding that we are not under the law in any way. There are five things, there are five dangers. Number one, we become legalistic. We become legalistic. Number two, we hold ourselves and others to a standard which cannot be kept. We hold ourselves and others to a standard which we cannot keep. Number three, joy and spontaneity are subdued if we mix law and grace. Joy and spontaneity, because you see, you're always working for God's favor. You're always working to gain God's favor instead of understanding that God's favor is given us by free grace. Is given us by grace. Number four, we become attached to rules and traditions and regulations and rituals and we leave behind mercy. And number five, our priorities become confused. Our priorities become confused. Keeping tradition and protect, protecting tradition becomes more important than meeting the needs of people. Keeping tradition and protecting tradition becomes more important than meeting the needs of people. Well, that's a little background, uh, a, a look at the broader question of law and grace. Let's hone in on what Mark teaches us here and shares with us in Mark chapter 2, starting at verse 23. One Sabbath, this is verse 23, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, 
Why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, here's where looking at the parallel passages can help us. The parallel passages to this are uh, Mark, excuse me, Matthew chapter 12 and Luke chapter 6 are the parallel passages, and they help us to fill in some of the details that Mark doesn't give us. Uh, Matthew, for instance, tells us that the disciples did this because they were hungry. They weren't just walking through a grain field. And by the way, the grain here is wheat. The word in Greek here is normally used of wheat. And so they were going through a wheat field and they were picking the, the stalks and they were, they were uh, 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 eating the kernel from the stalk because they were hungry. It wasn't because they had nothing better to do. It wasn't because they wanted to grab one of those stalks and use it like a toothpick. It wasn't any of that. <laughs> they were hungry. They were hungry, and they're going through this, this wheat field. And Luke tells us in the parallel passage in Luke 6 that they rubbed the grain in their hands and they ate the kernels. They rubbed the grain in their hands and they ate the kernels. Now, the Pharisees, verse 24, the Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Well, the first thing to understand is what they were doing was not unlawful on the Sabbath. They were wrong. It was unlawful according to the rules and regulations and laws, the hundreds of laws that they added to the Old Testament. It might have been wrong, but according to the law itself, according to the Old Testament, it wasn't wrong what they did. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 25, allows for what they did. They were not doing something that was not lawful. They were allowed to do that as long as no sickle was used, as long as no implementation, implement rather, excuse me, of harvest was used. But the Pharisees wrongly saw it was reaping. It was reaping, which was not permitted on the Sabbath. Harvesting was not permitted. Threshing was not permitted. And so the Pharisees saw it as reaping. So therefore, they accused them of violating the law when the truth is they did not violate the law. Now we need to understand what is the law of the Sabbath? What is the law of the Sabbath? We need to try to understand that. By the way, Sabbath, first of all, means rest. Sabbath means rest or the cessation from exertion. Sabbath means rest, or the cessation from exertion. The Sabbath rest, one writer said, was a Babylonian as well as a Hebrew institution. In Babylonian writings, it's called a day of rest for the soul. It was a day on which certain work was prohibited. It was very different from the Hebrew Sabbath. And let me give you some differences. Number one, the Hebrew Sabbath is first mentioned in Exodus 16, verses 23 to 29. The Hebrew Sabbath is first mentioned in Exodus 16 in conjunction with manna, in conjunction with manna. In Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11, the Sabbath is incorporated into the Decalogue. It's incorporated into the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. 
it differed markedly from the Babylonian Sabbath. In the Babylonian the Babylonian Sabbath was based upon Babylonian astronomy and polytheism, the movement of the planets. The Hebrew Sabbath was used in a very different way. The Hebrew Sabbath signified God's creation rest. God rested when he completed the days of creation. And the Sabbath was to signify rest from that creation. But it also signified in the scripture his redemption of Israel from Egyptian bondage, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15. The Hebrew Sabbath was a special sign between Israel and Yahweh, Exodus 31, verses 13 to 17. The Sabbath was cherished by Jews as, sac as a sacred institution, never given to any other nation. The Old Testament prohibitions for the Sabbath were only a few. There were five prohibitions in the Old Testament. This is important to understand. There were only five prohibitions in the Old Testament. There was the prohibition of work on the Sabbath. There was the prohibition of kindling a fire for cooking on the Sabbath. There was a prohibition of not gathering fuel on the Sabbath. There was a prohibition to carrying burdens. There was a prohibition to transacting business. That is all the Old Testament says about the Sabbath. That's it. Five things that the Old Testament says about the Sabbath. Now here's an example of how complicated, how complicated the Sabbath law became. You see, what happened is the religious leaders said, well, five prohibitions on the Sabbath day aren't enough for us to understand how to apply the Sabbath to our lives. So what did they do? They came up with hundreds if not thousands of other rules, which, be, which became so burdensome to even understand and even uh, remember all the rules. And here's, a, here's an example of how complicated the law of the Sabbath became. You could spit on a rock on the Sabbath, but you couldn't spit on dry ground. You know why? Because when you, thank you for asking. <laughs> you could, if you spit on the dirt and the dirt moved, you were plowing. I'm not kidding. I'm not making that up. I, in my study this past week, it's the first time I ever came up with that example. I've had other examples about the Sabbath, about how many days you could walk and how the semin, uh, synagogue system was set up and the basis of how many days you could walk and not be working. This is the first time I ever came up uh, with this particular example, and it's a true example. You could spit on a rock, but you couldn't spit on the ground because the ground might move and that would be plowing. That's how ridiculous these laws became. But see, that's how ridiculous it becomes for believers today to put themselves under law. That's how ridiculous it is for believers today to put themselves under law and put the people around them under law, under their legalism. The Jewish law, Jewish tradition divided the five, the five things that the Old Testament said about Sabbath. 
divided them into 39 categories with thousands of prohibitions. 39 categories with thousands of prohibitions out of just five. That's what had become of the law of the Sabbath. That had, what is what had become the Sabbath law was not merely one of rest. It was not meant to be nearly, just merely be one of rest, but it was rest for worship, rest to serve the Lord. That was the idea. And so when Jesus answered, that's what he stresses. That's what he stresses. Look at Jesus' answer in verses 25 and 26. He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus stresses that David gave the consecrated bread to his men because they were in need. Remember, these disciples were hungry. They weren't just doing this to violate the law. They weren't just doing this to, doing this to make the Pharisees angry with them. They were hungry. Bread was permitted only to the priests according to Exodus 25 and Leviticus 24. Twelve, it was called the showbread. Twelve loaves were replaced each Sabbath and the old loaves were eaten, were eaten by the priests. And here, the priests allowed David and his men to eat the consecrated bread which only the priests were allowed to eat. Jesus' point was this, God did not condemn it. God did not condemn it. The Pharisees blurred God's intention with their narrow interpretation. Jesus' second point is this, in respect to human need, the spirit of the law took priority over its ceremonial regulations. In respect to human need, the spirit of the law took priority over its ceremonial regulations. The law was not to be imposed. Human needs supersedes, one writer said, all mere ritual and ceremony. Human need supersedes all mere ritual and ceremony. The second example that Jesus gives is not recorded by Mark. Mark doesn't record the second example. We have to turn back to Mark chapter 12 and verse 5 to see the second example that Jesus uses. Or haven't you read Mark, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 5? Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? I tell you that one greater than the temple is here if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Je Jesus' second example, the first is David and his men. The second example here 
is the fact that the priests worked on the Sabbath and were allowed to work on the Sabbath. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 9 to 10. The priests were allowed to work on the Sabbath. Now, by the way, if you're a student of the Bible, you are saying, wait a second, he said the days of Abiathar. Well, if you look back on the passage in 1 Samuel 21, verses 1 to 6, you find that the priest was Ahimelech, Abiathar's father. So why does he say in the days of Abiathar? Now, this is just kind of inside baseball, okay? I, I just want to... Um, want you to understand in case you ever come across that or somebody says, look, the Bible's full of errors. Uh, what they did, because they did not have verse divisions, chapter divisions in that day, what they would do is they would mention a, to, to, to direct a person to a particular section of scripture, they would use the name of the most important person in that section. And Abiathar was much more important and became more important than his father. And so therefore, what Jesus was saying was that directing them to that Old Testament portion that had to do with David and his companions. And Abiathar was a later priest, but at the time of the event, it was actually Ahimelech, but it was a way to direct, for Jesus to direct them to that section of Scripture. Well, as we look here, Jesus, did, uh, his point is that God did not condemn it, and the Pharisees blurred God's intention with their narrow interpretation. Now, the question that we are seeking to answer in this particular passage of Scripture is the question, are you and I to observe the Sabbath. Are we to observe, whether it's Saturday or Sunday, are we to observe a day of rest? Are, are we doing wrong if we watch an NFL game on Sunday? Are we doing wrong if we go out to a restaurant on Sunday? Is there something wrong with any of those things? Our goal is to answer that question, and we're only halfway there, which means we're going to answer it next week. So I hope you'll come back next week and get the answer to that. Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you for Scripture. Thank you for the way it deals with issues that are important. There are so many Christians, Lord, who put themselves under the law. So many who put themselves under parts of the law and come under condemnation from other Christians and come under condemnation even in their own heart. Oh, Father, help them to understand that you are a merciful God and you desire mercy. You're a loving God and you desire love. Help us, Father, not to put ourselves under law or to put others under law, which can only condemn and cannot justify, and cannot sanctify. Help us to be thankful for your grace in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.